Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 8. So now, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you and carry them out so that you may live and so that you may enter the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you and take possession of it. Do not add to the word that I am commanding you and do not subtract from it so that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you. Keep them and put them into practice because in this way your wisdom and your understanding will be recognized by all the people who hear about all these statutes and they will say, this great nation is certainly a wise and understandable people. Because what other great nation is there that has a God as close to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? What other great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances as righteous as this entire law that I'm presenting to you today? This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is basically Moses' farewell address. After this, he'll climb up the mountain, get to see the promised land, and then he gets to go to heaven. He's not allowed to enter the promised land. And in verse 8, what our translation said as this entire law, the Hebrew word literally is Torah. If you have a Jewish friend, you know the Torah is what they call, what you and I call the Old Testament. So it's not just laws, it's instructions. And in fact, while reiterating the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws that are going to be essential for these uh, Israelites to conquer the promised land, There's also the promise, for example, that the Lord would raise up for uh, the world a prophet like Moses. That prophet is the Messiah. And it is amazing when you add or subtract from God's instruction, from God's word, you always end up screwing with salvation. You always end up messing with the understanding of a savior. And so today our sermon theme is do not add or subtract from God's instructions. And our text begins, it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the prescribed rules and the ordinances that I am teaching you to do so that you may keep on living and so that you may enter into and so that you may take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you guys. So if they break the covenant with God, the covenant their parents made on Mount Sinai, they won't get the promised land. If they add or subtract from what's going on, it's going to turn into a mess. And one of the things we have to recognize is a lot of the ordinances that were given, not just this day, but even to Old Testament Israel, don't apply to us today. What? There's some principles we can glean from them. But recall that the the Sinaitic covenant was that the nation of Israel had their choice. When the Savior came, they could be sovereign or they could be subjugated by other nations. Sadly, they constantly turned their backs to the Lord. They worshiped other gods. And so when Christ came, it was the Romans ruling over them. The civil laws for governing the nation, shall we say politically, those had ceased to apply because they were no longer independent. And the ceremonial laws, what you could eat, how you worship God and everything, those were all meant to point to Christ. And so when Christ was crucified and rose again, he had fulfilled all of those and they were no longer necessary for they had been fulfilled. And the moral law, well, that's, that, that moral law was never meant to save us. The principles behind it always stand to show us this is unholiness, this is holiness. 
So lots of times people take these particular words out of their context by thinking, if we apply these blessings and things, if we follow these precepts, then America will get all the blessings of Israel. <clears throat> Sorry, the Savior's already come. Or Christians get confused and they add to the word of God by thinking that uh, a nation with the geographical and political borders of Israel that's titled Israel is still important for prophecies. And I'm not talking politically. I understand in the Middle East, Israel is our greatest ally. But as far as biblical prophecy, the Savior's been born. The only thing we need to know about Israel is if you visit there, you'll get to see a lot of the regions the Bible is talking about. And outside of this, even in the Old Testament, lots of times we forget that the nation of Israel was supposed to be believers. It was supposed to be a visible representation of the true bride of Christ, the invisible church of all believers. And so, for example, a lot of prophecies in Isaiah only make sense if you understand Israel to be the invisible church of all believers. So we don't want to add or subtract from God's instructions. And one of the ways we can do that is by taking a text out of its contexts. And oftentimes Christian churches will even pull out a passage. And if you just read it in its context, you'll find out they're completely misusing it. And once you do that then your salvation depends on something other than God taking on human flesh and doing the work for us. It always ends up digressing into law. And so we're told in verse two, you guys are not to bring about an addition upon the word which I'm commanding you guys, and you guys are not to take away from it in order to keep by watching over the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you guys. Now, notice I translate that word keep or observe by keep by watching because it was to guard something by watching it. When we're in the word, then we understand it and we're watching it. And so while Moses here is saying, you guys, you can't add or take away from these things or it's going to impact your conquering the promised land and you'll lose not only their physical life if they lose it in battle, but also their eternal life by turning away from it. That's how important it is. And I've already told you, if we apply that principle, the law was never meant to be a means of salvation. Sadly, it's the natural religion to our human nature. It is a drug that it loves to think that if I keep the law, then I'm saved. And when we do that, we're adding to the word of God. It's very clear. The whole Old Testament is about the coming of the Savior and the New Testament is that he's come. And both of them teach that he would do all the work for our salvation. So if we say all the work plus this little thing, then we're taking away from the word of God or adding to the word of God. Now, a perfect example of this in Jesus's time was the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed they were saved by keeping the law. And just to make sure they kept it, they added 600 laws to the Ten Commandments. Stop and think about that. 600 laws. Do not add or subtract. Wow. There's a reason why Jesus is constantly seen in the New Testament correcting them. Now, it's very interesting. The Hebrew uh, verbal system that is used in the first verb there that says do not add to that word it doesn't say that in the call stem, which, which would be do not act. It says it in the hiffle, which means don't bring about the event. Don't cause it to happen. You know, some people, they're troublemakers and, and they'll start to they kind of form the snowball and then they get it rolling and somebody else turns it into an avalanche. So don't even get it rolling that the word is added to. And then the others subtract. Now, 
The Apostle Paul, you'd think this would be settled at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. We're not saved by the law. So the Apostle Paul, when he gets to Galatia, he tells the Galatians, God took on human flesh and did all the work to save you. It's finished. God puts his Holy Spirit in your heart, creating a new man, and you're alive in him. But then some Judaizing Christians came along and they said, Paul's a little confused. It's you're saved by Christ, but plus one little thing, one little act of the ceremonial law, got to be circumcised. And you know what happens? That got to be circumcised. Okay, well, if that applies, then can I, do I have to stop eating pulled pork sandwiches? Then do the ceremonial laws follow that, that Christ fulfilled? And so the Apostle Paul has to tell them, if somebody changes the gospel, the good news of salvation Christ that I preach to you, let them be damned, even if it's an angel. Christians today can get confused. They forget what worship is and they subtract and they think it's entertainment, coffee bars, things like that. But they also get confused and think it's ceremonies. Remember, I served in, uh, not too long ago in the Bible said very wisely, people who start teaching that pastor has to wear the right robe and you have to bow and cross yourself at the right time. He said, it's as if they think the means of grace, that would be God's word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's as if they think the means of grace is not enough and they have to add these ceremonies so that the people can love God. They're adding to the word of God when they do that. There are man-made customs that we can turn around. A great example of that is the way people dress for church. When I was a child, men were supposed, men in our culture often dressed much, much more business-like for church. Scripture doesn't say that a guy has to wear a tie, for example, to come to worship. Imagine driving somebody away from Jesus who has come to learn about the Lord because he wasn't wearing a tie. Customs change. The Bible has given us freedom. But we can also ignore laws, can't we? Every one of us has, I call them pet sins, that sin that we particularly struggle with and we have a heck of a time saying no to it. It's like an addiction. And for some people, a drug addiction is that sin, for example. But in our culture today, instead of saying, you know, the Bible shows this is a sin, it's unholiness, which when you recognize that and you recognize you can't help it, then you recognize you need a savior, and then your heart is ready to receive that new man that the Holy Spirit creates. But today we can take away from God's word by saying, oh, this is a politically correct sin. So it's not, we'll just erase that one from God's word. Maybe add sins that God's word doesn't have. Our Christians today will deny inspiration of the word of God and they'll just change the word of God. Well, I want it to teach this doctrine. So we'll, I'll put my own interpretation that, that the word doesn't support in here. Sadly, Christians who don't even do that can take away from the word of God by refusing to forgive somebody else refuse after they have already received forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Or Jesus tells his disciples that whoever's going to follow him must take up their cross. God uses hardships in our life to discipline us so that we don't embrace the sin. And oftentimes he uses hardships to strengthen our faith so that we learn to see his providence in a world where he is hidden. But there are many who would like to take away from that. They'd say, oh, no, no, no. If you'll join my charlatan church and make your decision for Christ, which is adding, that would be a work, right? Then Jesus is going to make you healthy, wealthy, wise, and everything's going to be perfect and wonderful. Guess what? They're changing the word of God because Jesus promises us in this life, there's going to be hardships and he promises us God's using them for our eternal well-being. 
There are also people who, for example, fill the pastoral office. And when somebody says, what you're teaching disagrees with the word of God, instead of saying, thank you for correcting me, or you're wrong, it doesn't disagree, they appeal, but I'm the pastor! How dare you? My office gives me authority. And no, it's the word of God. Whoever is standing on the word of God, not adding or subtracting to it, they have all the authority of God standing behind them. And so we see, for example, the most famous chapter of the Bible, John chapter 3, where John 3.16 spells out salvation. Jesus spoke that to Nicodemus, a prominent Pharisee. And as a leader of uh, of the Sanhedrin, he was supposed to be making sure the people of Israel were clinging to the word of God. And when he... Jesus tells him everything. He says, how can this be? And you can hear the righteous indignation in Jesus's voice when he says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't know this. Sadly, if a person does not know the word of God, isn't in it, keeping observing it, they're going to miss that authority. And like Nicodemus, we'll have to hear you're this congregation's teacher and you don't know this. And it's important because Christ did all the work for our salvation. And when we start adding and changing things in God's word, we will lose sight of that. And people fall from the faith because they think salvation is a different scheme than God's done it all and he's given you faith. But in our text today, Moses also gives us blessings besides the fear of, in the Israelites' case, losing their eternal life, losing the promised land, or in our case, Uh, having the promised life and and, and not losing heaven. We're told in verse six, and so keep by watching over them and do them because this is your wisdom and discerning in the eyes of the people who who will hear all these prescribed rules and then they will say, surely this great nation is a wise people who have discerning. Now you'll notice I translate discerning instead of understanding because it's the ability to look at things and say this is right and wrong. This is God's will. This isn't. This is the word of God. This is not in accord with the word of God. This is law. This is not law. This is gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ that motivates us. We do that by observing the word of God. Remember that word there is to is to guard it by watching over it. So when we're constantly in the word, which is what we do when we hear sermons and when we come to Bible study. And so this is not a self-righteousness. Oh, the world will see you and see that you look down your nose at them and think you're better than them. Not at all. Instead, it's when you know that you're saved in Christ by that word, you have been freed from the obligation and the condemnation of the law so that you are now free to serve God purely out of love for him who loves you so much. And you are free to now purely serve your neighbor, not because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You are free to serve your neighbor purely because God, by giving you that new person in your heart, has given you his love for that neighbor. This is not a forced obedience. And what a wisdom it shows. And so that law, those ten commandments that constantly show us, oh, you've let something else in your heart be God. Oh, you've coveted your neighbor's four-wheel drive. That law now becomes a guide for us. The only, only the good news of salvation in Christ gives us the freedom and engrafts us to Christ so that the sap of Christ flows through our new man. But then the law, our new man doesn't sin. Our sinful nature does, and they're always wrestling with each other. But our new man now has the motivation. He says, God, how can I show you my love? I'm already forgiven. I'm already saved. And the law becomes the way we live out of thanks. It shows us what thanks is. 
And the world being wowed at understanding right now, we're especially in a time of history where atheists are, are attacking Christians and sometimes the lunacy of Christians who aren't staying to the word of God, who are adding and subtracting and don't even realize they're doing it, deserves the reproach they're getting. But don't kid yourself. The world is a better place because of Christianity. It is the main reason why slavery no longer exists. In fact, hospitals today, I, I've known plenty of doctors and nurses and healthcare workers who are truly there because they love their fellow human being. But there's always a corporation that owns it and the, and the bottom line is making a buck. But hospitals were originally started by, guess what, Christians. Christians who purely out of the love of God and the love for their fellow man wanted to alleviate suffering. Today, when a child is unwanted, you just go off and murder it in an abortion. But orphanages were also something where there were Christians started orphanages wanting to adopt children to Christian families who would raise them up in the love of the Lord and give them a loving, nurturing home. Our public school system, invented basically by Martin Luther and his right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon, so that every human being would have the ability to read and especially then could read and understand the word of God. Now, our public school system has created other problems today. In some ways, it still teaches to read. But all of these things society's better for because of the love, the wisdom, the understanding, the discernment of Christians. This is not a worldly wisdom. The world looks at a man hanging naked on the cross, being spit upon and says, what? That's salvation? They want God to come down and say, you will worship me. But when they see the love of Christians, that changes. They see their wisdom, their understanding. They see the forgiveness. And so knowing right from wrong, knowing what's holy and unholy, what is law which, which shows holiness, what is gospel which actually gives salvation forgiveness, Christians are able to give a help that no one else can. Do not add or subtract from God's instructions. When observed, we show godly wisdom and understanding. And another way that that's pointed out is in verse 7. For what great nation has for itself gods that are near to it like the Lord our God in all our calling to him? When I was a considerably younger, a song made the top 40 chart, and the main line of it went, God is watching us from a distance. That person did not know the Bible. In fact, the countries they were going to be taking over that worship pervert gods like Baal and gods that want you to burn their babies up like sausages, like Moloch, if they weren't listening to you, if you couldn't get their attention, you climbed up higher mountains to descend uh, uh, into where their thrones were supposed to be, the higher places. But when God sent somebody to you to tell you you have a Savior and the Holy Spirit entered your heart giving birth to that new person, that Holy Spirit made your body, your heart, his temple. You are engrafted to Christ. Literally, your new man is connected so that the sap of Christ flows through and you're able to do good works and show wisdom and understanding the word. And God is not a father like divorced children whose dad moves to the next state and they see him maybe when they get a Christmas gift. He's a loving daddy that's right there. And you could call upon him. And yes, we have that sinful nature. So when we call upon him and our sin is there, the blood of Christ washes it clean. God is right there with you. You're never alone. What a blessing, because he's there with his love and care. Moses also says in verse 8, And what great nation has for itself prescribed rules and ordinances that are just, that's also the Hebrew word for righteous, like all the instructions that I'm giving you in your guys' presence today? 
The law code of Hammurabi, for example, prescribed an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He literally meant that, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When in the Old Testament, God gave that rule uh, to the nation of Israel, he was saying the punishment should fit the crime. Don't let a harsh crime off with a slap on the wrist or a slight crime off by throwing the book at them. There's a righteousness and a justice to those laws. Now, one of the things that I always have to commend, and I, I'm already going to say, I've already said, the laws for Israel were meant for Israel until Christ came. But there's principles we can apply. And one of the wisdoms you truly see in the Old Testament law was, if somebody stole from you, now they didn't have cars back then, but let's use cars as an analogy. Somebody steals from your car here today, they get thrown in jail, and prayerfully you've got full coverage, but your insurance company's not going to give you everything that car is worth for you. So you end up hurting. But the laws that God gave to the nation of Israel had restitution. The thief didn't go to jail. He had to pay it back, and he had to pay it back four times over. That really served as a curb. And if he couldn't afford that, he could sell himself into slavery. Now, slavery in the Old Testament was not what it was here in America before the Civil War, because you were selling yourself to your cousin, and the year of Jubilee would set you free. So that idea that you had to pay it back, its full value, and four times its full value on top of that, really, and you think about it, is a much wiser system. Now, let me tell you how that applies. Uh, in the Roman Empire, if you were a tax collector, the Roman Empire wanted 15%. So if you decided to collect 50%, you got to keep the rest, and the Roman Empire didn't care. They were legalized thieves. And Jesus uh, one time passes by a, a short little guy, a wee little man. His name was Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector. And when Zacchaeus finds out the Savior is coming into his house, salvation even belongs to him, Zacchaeus applies those Old Testament laws of restitution, even though they hadn't applied to Israel for over 500 years. And he says, Lord, if I've wronged anybody, I will pay it back four times. And his motivation was love for his fellow man because suddenly he had that new man in him as well. And there's a wisdom and an understanding and a love that Christians have when they're truly staying on the word of God that the rest of the world doesn't. So do not add or subtract from God's instructions. Don't take his word and his instructions out of their context. And there's many ways we add and subtract, but when we do, we always end up messing with our salvation. However, when we observe God's instructions, he creates that new person in us. That new person is connected into Christ. In fact, we can't observe him without the new person. The new person gets created when we hear Christ. And then when we show them, we're showing godly wisdom and understanding and discernment. Amen. Let us close our sermon with prayer. O Lord, your word is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Guide our footsteps by your word so that we remain steadfast in faith. May love you with all our hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.